some of the facts and revelations you're going to hear will jar and no doubt have a profound effect on the way you see things. One. 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 We are a very multi-ethnic church with people from all over the world. We need to gather together in unity across denominations, across churches, across the county. Neighbourhood community is also looking after one another. One voice. Because we're all the same. The same. As one guest puts it, I think it's important that we know about the darker side of life that far too many people have to deal with. A very warm welcome and a happy new year as well from the podcast that you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and several other podcasting sites. This is One Voice. Very good to have you with us. The work of the Western Fable Centre Food Bank and the stories and situations they encounter there will be one of our focuses in this episode. I'm extremely pleased to have Dawn Smith from the Food Bank with us in a very short time. How about this? Feeding the homeless language support and making PPE for Northampton General Hospital. There almost isn't anything that the Sikh community and their partners haven't done to help those in and around Northamptonshire since last March. You know, just the barriers that they've surmounted and the friendships they've forged have been nothing short of remarkable. Let's discover just how deep-rooted those qualities are in the Sikh community and start the conversation with Amajit Singh Atwal. Let me set the scene first of all. Abington Street in Northampton, each and every Sunday evening, what happens? So for the past five years or so, we've been out on Abington Street every Sunday between six and seven, serving hot meals, hot drinks to anyone who's in the area. So it could be homeless people. It could be people who are just walking past. It could be someone who's at home and and just lonely on a Sunday evening. So they come and see us. But yeah, essentially it's around uh, us being able to serve, you know, anyone who's who's in the area. Just why is that uh, that sort of sense of purpose there? Where, where does it come from? This sort of inbuilt desire to to kind of fortify the the needy. Then, from uh, the Sikh faith perspective, it's about helping others. So it's called seva, which means selfless service, and this is one way that we can actually deliver that principle in terms of helping helping other people. What about the kind of the logistics on the ground of the organisation of this? This is no small operation, is it? No, I mean, it's, um, like I said, because it's been running now for five years, it started off with us just turning up with sort of one table in Abington Street and, and only maybe serving sort of like five or six people on the first night to growing to where, you know, we were taking out, uh, you know, four tables. We'd grown the volunteers from sort of two or three to... You know, sometimes we had maybe 20 volunteers there. Yeah, because it was pretty much every week, same hours, similar sort of food. It becomes a bit of a routine, actually. And, you know, everyone knows that we're going to be there at six o'clock. So before we arrive, you know, people start queuing um, or they're in the area ready for us. 
and then you know come seven o'clock we pack up uh head back and uh, everything you know used to just get offloaded and uh, packed away for the week it's a brilliant site and very very sort of uh life affirming and, and heartwarming and you're obviously experts at the the whole mobile kitchen thing years and years before master chef did any cooking out in the field whatsoever <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That's right. We and, and you know, as a community, we're used to catering for large mm. numbers of people as well. So, um, you know, that's possible. Obviously, you've you've set out the 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 faith, the religious aspect of the Sikh religion and and how this comes from that. But as an onlooker and somebody who is a you know a non-Sikh, should we say, the act of feeding people it always feels like a very natural occurrence from your community with with kind of no rallying or cajoling whatsoever do you think it's just inbuilt that even before it's taught yeah i mean it's it, it's sort of just natural for us to try and help you know wherever we can and also it's not um you'll see from uh, you know some of the pictures that you will have, you know probably seen from abington street this isn't then just just the Sikh community that are out on the streets. It's other volunteers from different faith groups or people of no faith as well coming to volunteer with us. So I think it it does exist out there with everyone really, but it's just people taking that step to to actually go out and do something about it. You know, and that's where we we facilitate that in some regards. And of course, very recently, the residents of, of Billing Aquadrome who were forced to evacuate, weren't they? Uh, and and again, you and and others as well around you sort of stepped in to this. Just just give us a sense of, of what was done in that instance, Am- Amjit. Yeah, so I mean, we woke up in the morning on that Christmas Eve and it was um, seeing on the news and on the social, social media all the, um, the localised flooding. The first instinct was, what can we do to help people? A couple of years ago, there was a similar situation where flooding was there in uh, St. Leonard's Road uh, in the Far Cotton area. And same thing, you know, we, we saw the news and saw the devastation and we thought, what, what can we do down there? You know, so we turned up with uh, hot food and hot drinks because um, a lot of the residents were out in the street because the houses had been flooded, no power, no gas, you know, and that was our opportunity to help out. Um, so similar situation, really, when um, we saw the floods, um, we made contacts with the fire service who we'd worked with, like I said previously, and also the uh, county council's emergency planning team and said, look, we're here if you need anything, um, rather than us try and you know, go into areas where it might not be safe, tell us where, where you do need help and, um, and you, we'll be there. Um, so that's how that started on, uh, on that Christmas Eve. And we inevitably come back to this, uh, you know, the, the notion, the subject of food in itself, of sustenance. And, it, it, you know, it strikes me that it's food is the great leveller, isn't it? That, you know, that, uh, and obviously your concept and your, your um, fellow Sikh concept of Langer that, that it welcomes all regardless of religion, colour, creed, age, gender or social status. Do you think the rest of society underplays the importance of food? Yeah, I mean, um, food, food, you know, it's a necessity out there. And, uh, you know, some people have a lot of it and, and others, you know, struggle to, to get a meal a day. So, you know, obviously it touches everyone's lives um, in, in some regards. And it's, you know, for, for us, we see it as quite an easy way to to actually help people because everyone needs a meal, you know. So and, and like I say, for us, being able to prepare the food, you know, go and buy the food and then serve it. That's ultimately, you know, that's what um, gives us the satisfaction that we've done something really rewarding. And of course, as well as 
the the smiles on faces, that sort of positive, effusive body language of people who are are about to eat or have eaten a you know fantastic warm meal um, from from you and your colleagues, Amajit. What things have people said to you? You must you must have heard some lovely things as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean we do get um, a lot of good feedback regarding the food that we serve as well. So you know we've done a lot of work since COVID providing food for the homeless guys that have been uh, moved, that were moved into hotel accommodation initially and they love it when we turn up you know with our trays of food they know that they're going to get a really good meal and they look forward to it so yeah no we, we we generally just get a really good good feedback in terms of the food that we provide it's all vegetarian food as well so you know and you know generally it's all healthy stuff as well it is brilliant and often life-saving work as well that you and peers are uh, uh, partaking of. So, you know, it's brilliant. We thank you for it and thank you for your time on the podcast, Amajit. All the very best. Thank you. The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice. I'd also add that the website for the Sikh Community Centre and Youth Club, of which Amajit is a trustee, is a very good resource, extremely good resource to... You know, just to get to know more about his faith and some of the other things that they're involved in, it's northamptonseeks.org, northamptonseeks.org. Soon you'll hear from Dawn Smith, who volunteers at the Western Fable Centre Food Bank, which is part of the Trussell Trust. She's certainly got some examples that are by turns harrowing and also uplifting. Dawn will be on the episode before too long. Let's move from one story of selflessness to another, which has equal thoughtfulness and generosity within it. One of a good number of people in the Methodist Church who do what they can for the greater good of the community is Penny Clark, who I know won't be offended if I liken her to a walking recipe book. Penny, if anyone knows the power of apple and blackberry crumble... (laughs) I think it's probably Lois and myself... (laughs) Now, you can't not tell us the story of, of the crumble. Basically, um, we had we, uh, Lois had this idea that it would be lovely to make blackberry and apple crumbles to give to people um, who were part of the third Friday lunch. We'd been given blackberries. Um, these blackberries had been transferred to my freezer. My freezer was getting somewhat full and I wanted to defrost it. So I said, come on, what are we going to do about it? So she came up with this idea. So we made 30. She did 15 and I did 15 in foil tins, foil containers. The blackberries were uh, easy to use. They didn't need much doing with them. They were basically from a from a friend, uh, from a neighbour. Um, and the apples, um, we had windfalls, so we sat in, stood in the kitchen peeling these with all the grubs and things in them and, and made, made all these crumbles. As I say, Lois did 15 and I did 15 in the foil trays and then we delivered them. And the joy on people's faces when we arrived, because we also took pots of custard with it as well. So, yeah, they, yeah. they, were, they were thoroughly enchanted. I mean, if it was two people coming to the Friday lunch, then they had two crumbles. And I think each crumble would have served two anyway. So they had a, a dessert for two days. I just, I just wonder what happened to the grubs. <laughs> what did they go to? In the compost. Uh, oh, oh, well, it's, it, it all goes back in that wonderful sort of circle of life. That's right. There, there is, of course, a serious point. Um, that helping to to feed people, as we were saying to uh, Amajit, um, you know, with Sikh colleagues and people from other community, and obviously Dawn as well, to do with the food bank, that helping to feed people or give them the wherewithal to feed themselves is is a sort of a, a unifying uh, act, isn't it? It's an act of of great 
compassion and mm. kindness. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Methodism was all, was built on cups of tea and, and cake, so we we continued it. Uh, but yeah, I I have um, a great deal of satisfaction when I've made something for somebody else and delivered it, and they've enjoyed it. Um, we do that with another friend, and he's had all sorts of cakes and the syrup loaf that I made. Oh, he was salivating <laughs> the mouth <laughs> with custard. <laughs> Excellent. And what about divvying up the skills? How do you decide who gets to do what? Is there somebody that's better at baking than they are at starters and somebody better at mains than they are at... Well, the third Friday lunch is just a main course and uh, a dessert. And we have to... Lois and I are basically the main chef, so to speak. I'm more of the sous chef and she's the, the one in charge. We look at what we know the, the folk like... They do have particular choices. We look at what's available, what we can cook in the ovens. A sausage casserole always goes down well because it was all in one dish. And then Lois does the shopping on the... Th- we have a f- It's on the Friday, so Lois does the shopping along with her son Paul and another friend on the Thursday. And they do a lot of the food preparation at home because we have to be careful just how much we do at home and what because of health and safety and health and hygiene. Vegetables can be prepared at home. Be prepared at home. A cold dessert can be prepared at home, but everything else has to be prepared on the premises. So we we usually Lois is there about eight o'clock, and I'm there for not long after. We have learnt over the year, over the eighteen months we've been doing it. Frozen veg is very useful. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, we have succumbed uh, to instant custard rather than making it fresh. But we basically we keep a, um, a record of what we've done each month and go back and try and balance it. So we might have chicken one, one month, sausages another month. We've done roasted pork and we've done roast beef. One uh, month we actually went to the local fish and chip shop and had fish and chips. And the puddings, we make sponges, crumbles. We've had jelly and ice cream. Uh, using galonies for the ice cream, trying to keep it local. Only just over the road. Exactly. We thought it might get a discount, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's provenance, isn't it? They call it, you know, yeah. just literally over the, yeah. the Welford Road. Yeah. I uh, mean, you like cooking anyway. So it must oh, be I love a, cooking, yeah. A busman's holiday. Sort of, but I, I mean, I have said that, um, I mean, the helpers, um, the Methodist helpers, um, actually have lunch with, with the um, customers, clients, what whatever you want to call them. Um, the Baptist people tend to be our washer-uppers. So we don't, Lois and I don't do the washing up afterwards. They, it's all done for us. So we sit and enjoy our meal. And I I said to Trevor, my husband, that when I was doing this, don't expect your meal at night. You're going to have it down there. I'm not <laughs> cooking again. <laughs> I hope he was compliant. He was. Yes, really. <laughs> yeah, yes, but No, I mean, it's fun and they do yeah. appreciate it. It's yeah. lovely. They, they're they amazed at what we can do in the confined spaces that we've mm. got. Um, and I think there was one, one week I did cauliflower and it was... Uh, I basically cooked the cauliflower, poured a cheese sauce over it, and then um, sprinkled some breadcrumbs on the top and just put it in the oven to finish off. They couldn't understand what the green bits were in the cauliflower. What are these green bits? I said, part of the cauliflower. Yes. Now, I'm partial to those. Yes. Yeah, you know, why, why waste you it? Why yeah, waste yeah. it? And how had we done, done the topping? I said, well, all it was was a cheese sauce and then put in the oven and, and browned off. But they were gobsmacked, totally and utterly gobsmacked. But their their smiles, it's it's just wonderful to see. 
there's a, a very high demand, isn't there, for oh, yes, yes. Third Friday lunch? Because yes. you have to limit numbers anyway. That's right. We can do up to a maximum of 36, but that's hard work. I think the Christmas lunch we did last year, and it's a full Christmas lunch, turkey and sausage, pigs in blankets, stuffing, roast potatoes, parsnips, vegetables, and then Christmas puddings um, afterwards, um, and trifle for those who don't like Christmas pudding. The Christmas puddings were made at home and then reheated in in the church, in the kitchen. Um yes it's it's just brilliant <laughs> and this is probably a daft question it could could you use any more volunteers yes possibly um not necessarily in the kitchen because we are limited to four people for safety reasons in the kitchen um but certainly to have a, a, a rotor of people that we could call on when whether when people are away because um, I mean obviously we all have holidays and maybe some weeks we can't some months we can't make it so um Extra volunteers, it would be nice to know who we could call on, yes. Let's imagine a post-COVID time. What does the Methodist Church, or what will the Methodist Church locally want to do for and and with the community? I think they'd like to continue the Third Friday lunch, definitely, uh, because it is doing it's a great service to people. I mean, I think probably a lot of them, it's their one hot meal that they have in probably a month. A lot of their others would probably be takeaways or... Meals in boxes, put in the microwave. So definitely I'd like to continue that. We do a coffee morning on a Friday morning. We used to do a Friday and a Saturday morning at the old build. We just do a Friday morning now. Um, we'd like to continue that because I think that's important for outreach. To try and get more people in off the street. Our coffee is fair trade, and but it's cheaper than Waitrose. <laughs> I tell a lot of people. Well, and their cafe's closed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And it's it's also a way of church members coming along and having a cup of coffee and sharing problems, talking in a relatively quiet atmosphere. Basically, it's, it's coffee or tea and hot chocolate and biscuits in the small meeting room, which is more intimate. And so people can share problems, talk about um, things that have happened to them, good and bad. And we can just share things. And it's nice when people from off the street come in. I feel very full after this conversation. Ice cream, fish and chips, yes. cauliflower cheese, <laughs> pigs in blankets. Great. Uh, Penny, thank you ever so much. That's a pleasure. Thanks to Penny and her friends and her colleagues who are always looking to do their bits, crumble or no crumble. It was very nice to see the New Year newsletter for both the Kingsthorpe Baptist and Methodist churches come out. Hopefully you'll have found it something of a tonic. In the newsletter there's a very articulate reference to how people are the buildings of the church and how really through history worship hasn't always been possible in one physical space. And, and I think in the letter the allusion to the Apostle Paul is a very well-chosen one. We must also, from the same newsletter, wish a belated happy birthday to Nellie Brown. Very many congratulations from all your friends and family. And uh, let's just say the Queen will be in touch in about a year's time. From the Methodist Church in Northampton, you're listening to the One Voice podcast. Let's run that conversation then with someone who volunteers for a food bank and begin with some numbers, some stats that really give you a feel for the scale of the need and the problem. This is One Voice. Demand has increased dramatically over the last 12 months. In 2019, for instance, we gave out enough food to feed 
nearly 6,000 people. But in the whole of 2020, we gave out enough food for 12,000 plus people. So demand has more than doubled in a year. Mm. We are part of the Trussell Trust at Western Favel and the Trust as a whole has seen an increase of 74% in demand over five years. And it seems that research shows that people living on benefits, once they've paid their rent, have only got about 50 pounds a week to cover food, travel to and from work, bills, clothes. There's nothing left over for birthdays or Christmas, for instance, and nobody I've spoken to seems to have had a holiday for years. Thankfully, donations from individuals, local businesses and churches in the area has also risen. So we have been able to take on this massive challenge, but it is still shocking, heartbreaking that in the 21st century, mm. food banks even have to exist. It is, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. It's very stark, very sobering, and, and it's horrendous at the same time. What is your involvement kind of day-to-day, week-to-week? I do a bit of everything. <laughs> so I'll deal with donations that come in, which all have to be weighed and sorted and dated. People are always surprised that we weigh our donations. It's an accountability thing, so that what goes out is what comes in, if that makes sense. It shows the Trussell Trust that, uh, that we are actually giving out the food that is donated to us. I'll pack food parcels for the people who come to use our services three times a week. But the majority of my time, I think, is spent actually talking to those people, getting to know them, listening to their stories, and trying to help in whatever small way I can. What's the fulfilling um, side of it, that, that aspect of it for you? Because that, that, that obviously plays a part, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I have to say that, that my personal faith underpins everything that I do and also everything that the food bank does. We are linked to Emmanuel Church and supported by St Peter's. We start each session every time we open our doors with prayer. And even those volunteers who don't share our faith or don't have a faith at all will join us for that. It's important because faith is the foundation of who we are and what we do. Personally speaking, I wanted to do something with my early retirement that put legs on my faith, as it were, that turned all the fancy words I say in, in church into action. Jesus did this all the time. And as a Christian, I'm called to be like him. I honestly think that food banks are amongst the places Jesus would be, so it's where I am too. And the rewards, while not necessarily obvious, are great. In fact, I think I get more out than I put in. It is hard to specify how, but I've made good friends amongst my fellow volunteers. I've been there for two and a half years now, and I know that there are people I can go to if I need health and support. In, in fact, my husband and I both faced health challenges recently that were not connected to COVID-19, but the volunteers at the food bank were all there for me. The best part of it for me is getting to know those clients, our service users. That 
doesn't happen quickly. It's a relationship that develops over time. But hearing their stories helps me to see what's going on in the world outside my safe little bubble. It can be very emotional listening to them. It's very draining occasionally. But I think it's important that we know about the darker side of life that far too many people have to deal with. Life's not always rosy. Actually, it's not often rosy for some of the people that I see most weeks. And it is vital that we recognize that. Although some of what I see as benefits and rewards might not seem like it to an outsider, all of that matters to me and is the reason why I continue to offer my time three or four days a week. Feeding people or at least giving them the wherewithal to be able to feed themselves and, and their families, Dawn, giving them access to, to sustenance is really the overarching theme of this episode of the podcast. What have you felt has been the reaction? You know, you sat and listened to those, in your words, often emotionally draining stories. Mm. How do you judge people react to just just having a pair of ears there, effectively, or and the fact that the food bank exists? The fact that people keep coming back is telling. The people who come to us know our names and they know that they can talk to us. They know that we are a confidential service and that is important, I think. They also know that we offer more than food. We are called a food bank, but we are trying in our own small way to do something to change things for the clients that come through our door. One of the aims of the, of the Trussell Trust is to change communities, the communities that use our services. So working to reduce their need for us. For example, we will put our clients in touch with people who can help with housing issues, benefits advice, domestic abuse, homeschooling, we offer a befriending service, someone to listen to. And Emmanuel Church has also started a money advice centre, which gets going this month. And that's going to be working with us to help people tackle debt that lies underneath an awful lot of what we see as need. The thing to remember, I think, with poverty is that it is a symptom. It's not a cause. There is an underlying reason for the poverty. And our aim is to try and help the people who use our service to do something about that underlying cause. Some of it is down to them and they have to commit to changing some of the things that they do. But an awful lot of it is also changing people's minds, changing the general public's understanding, raising levels of empathy, perhaps, so that they see beyond the stereotypes. I, I can't tell you how many people have said to me that people who use food banks are probably benefit scroungers. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are helping or doing as much as we can, at least in a small way, to help create a society that's just and fair and compassionate. The statistics that we gather, like the ones I've already shared with you, go to the Trussell Trust to inform them in their discussions with government and other agencies to try and get something done at policy level about all these things 
that drive extreme poverty. We want to be a part of the solution to the cause so that the effect, the poverty, can be removed. Society, I think, does need to improve when it comes to tackling poverty, but actually poverty is not always the real mm. issue, the base issue. We need to work on what causes it. And together with our partners at Trussell Trust and Emmanuel Church, we at the Western Fable Food Bank are trying our best to help with that. From you know a very personal point of view, do you feel hope? You you said, didn't you, almost at the start of this this conversation, that it's outrageous, really. It isn't right that food banks mm. and handouts should need to exist in in twenty twenty one. Is there hope there that the need for them can almost be expunged or at least lessened as as we go onward? There's always hope. They say that where there's life, there's hope. And we certainly see small signs of that. We have clients who come back to us when they've found jobs, to tell us that they've found jobs. We have some of our service users coming back to us with trolley loads of food and other household items that they've been to Tesco to buy because We've helped them, so they are helping others. They're passing it on, so to speak. These are good news stories. To be perfectly truthful, we don't get an awful lot of them, but they are there, and I think it's important to look for those signs of hope and rejoice in those signs of hope, those good news stories that we hear of people who have bucked the trend, who have managed to pay off their debts, perhaps with the help of Christians Against Poverty or a money advice centre, who have managed to get themselves out of their rent arrears with the, the help of the community law service that we liaise with, who have managed to sort out their housing issues and so on. We do hear stories like that and we celebrate those we make a very big thing of those and that is important because it's what keeps us going it tells us that there is a point to what we do that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that one day the good news stories will outweigh the bad as i think i've mentioned I've been working as a volunteer at the food bank for two and a half years or thereabouts. And I hear more good news stories now, strangely, than I did at the beginning. And that is a sign of hope for me, that things are beginning to move, that the general public are beginning to get a better and more accurate picture of what food banks are about and the kind of people that use us that government is beginning to listen and that the people that we are there to support are taking the help and advice that we're giving them and doing something positive with it to help change their own circumstances, to manage their lives perhaps a little differently. There is hope. If there wasn't, I think we'd all throw up our hands in horror and give up now, but there is hope, absolutely. 
Well, Don, thank you ever so much for uh, giving your time to the One Voice podcast and for those immensely powerful words, very powerful words um, of, of hope and the good news stories too. And thank you too for, for your work. Um, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. That was Dawn Smith from the Western Fable Centre Food Bank. Amazing, challenging and vital work that they're all doing there. Well, whichever church you're part of, the Emmanuel Group of Churches, Toaster Road, St Andrews, Kingsthorpe, Ascot, Great Billing, Harpole Road, Park Avenue, Kingsley Park, or even further afield, somewhere around the globe and listening to this podcast, we would love to hear from you on One Voice. It'd be great for you to, to be in touch with us. If there is anything that you'd like us to cover in particular for uh, an episode or a notice to publicise, we are very happy to do that. By all means, ask one of the circuit leadership team to pass on the message to the podcast or do it through the website. All that leaves for me to say is to to look after yourself. Please remember that the church is very much here for you, especially at these challenging and restrictive times. And if you're able, I'd urge you to have a look at the New Year's message, a wonderful, wonderful video from Bishop Ivan Abrahams, who's a friend of Romeo, the Secretary General as well of the World Methodist Council. It's at methodist-churches-northampton.org.uk. Methodist-churches-northampton.org.uk. Let's speak in a month's time. Stories, community, and what brings us together. This is One Voice.